0: This is the 214th episode of 200 on private equity, and here we're going to continue our discussion of the qualified purchaser exemption. And um, uh, listeners who are just tuning tuning into the 214th episode, um, that's great. Um, and um, uh, the material can be parsed, um, so to speak. But uh, to make uh, what follows um, a bit more intelligible, um, it would be um, uh, helpful to listen to episodes. Uh, 136, 137, uh, 212, uh, 213, and 174. Uh, So with that, uh, I'm going to backtrack a bit and have a little bit of review on the Qualified Purchaser Exemption before uh, uh, turning back to uh, where we started. Right. So the initiating entity here, um, talking about the Qualified Purchaser Exemption, must represent to the Depository Trust Company that the receipt of the shares is a Qualified Purchase. Uh, To retain the Qualified Purchaser Exemption, Uh, The issuer uh, must have a reasonable belief that the secondary market purchases are indeed qualified purchases and place the correct notation on the applicable securities. Uh, Procedures to protect issuers from unintentional sales of their securities to non-qualified purchasers, uh, such as specific disclosure and purchaser representations in the offering document, uh, minimum denominations, uh, legends at the book entry depository, Uh, and issuer, underwriter, and placement agent distribution agreement representations should be used. Uh, More specifically, the representations are designed to place purchasers and transferees on notice that only qualified purchasers may acquire the securities. Uh, When it comes to equity trade settlements through the Depository Trust Company for PE firms relying on the Qualified Purchaser Exemption, though, uh, team members should take note that it is more difficult uh, for issuers to represent a reasonable belief that all transferees are qualified purchasers precisely because uh, these securities are more difficult to trace and tend to be more appealing uh, to investors, right? So that, that's where we left off with the last episode. Uh, what follows is new material. Uh, indeed, uh, the 2003 Qualified Purchaser Exemption uh, Procedures, uh, does not contain a provision for these equity transfers. Uh, Non-American issuing companies need not be concerned with this requirement because secondary market transfers of these securities and non-U.S. markets are not restricted. Indeed, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission has long permitted non-U.S. firms to rely on the 100 persons exemption when conducting public offerings abroad, so long as the U.S. portion of the offering represents a limited portion of the total. As a matter of fact, investment vehicles relying on either the 100 persons or qualifying purchasers exemption need not limit their offerings or restrict transfers of these securities if they are organized and domiciled abroad. Uh, foreign investment vehicles uh, generally can reference a Rule 902 k of Regulation S under the Securities Act to determine if an investor must be treated as a qualified purchaser or be counted against the 100 investor limit. Under Regulation S, a U.S. person is any natural person residing in the United States, regardless of whether they have a U.S. citizenship, um, hold a green card, um, uh, or are the agency or branch of a foreign entity located in the United States, or or, uh, any non-discretionary account uh, held by a dealer or other fiduciary for the benefit or account of a U.S. person, or any discretionary account held by a dealer or other fiduciary uh, organized, incorporated, or resident in the United States, or any partnership, um... Uh, Or corporation organized under U.S. laws, uh, non-U.S. partnerships uh, formed by U.S. persons uh, principally to invest in unregistered securities uh, that are not accredited investors uh, under uh, SEC rule uh, 501, right? Um, uh, but not natural persons, estates, or trusts, and any uh, other individual without a permanent resident status uh, who the issuer deems to be a resident of the U.S. with consistently applied uh, criteria such as tax residency, uh, nationality, mailing address, physical presence, uh, the location of a significant portion of the individual's financial and legal relationships, or immigration status. Right? So uh, that's a mouthful. Uh, When it comes uh, to entities uh, that are not U.S. persons, though, uh, an employee benefit plan set up and administered under the law of a country other than the U.S., uh, foreign branches of U.S. banks or insurance companies regulated in the jurisdiction of their location, uh, international organizations such as the IMF, UN, and their agencies, affiliates, and pension plans, as well as uh, any discretionary account held by a dealer or other fiduciary for the benefit or account of a non-U.S. person, or any trust or estate with a trustee, executor, or administrator who is a U.S. person, unless the trust or estate gives sole or shared investment power to a non-U.S. trustee, executor, or administrator, as applicable, and uh, no beneficiary and no settler of a revocable trust is a U.S. person, or the estate uh, is governed by the laws of a foreign jurisdiction uh, that is included within that category, right? So, again, a mouthful. Uh, Just uh, ping me. Uh, for uh, more details, right? Um, so again, fifteen U.S.C. eighty a three c three exempts uh, domestic banks, uh, insurance companies, uh, S.N.L.s, uh, building and loans associations, cooperative banks, uh, homestead associations, among other entities from the statutory definition of an investment company, right? Um, so. Uh, I guess if the fund is organized as one of those entities, you, you need not um, uh, worry uh, with complying with the 1940 Act, right? And here, um, it's going to be referred to moving forward as the bank and insurance company exception. Uh, more specifically, uh, this exemption uh, applies to entities that are not engaged in the business of issuing redeemable securities, uh, installment-type face value certificates, or periodic uh, payment plan certificates, and are primarily engaged in the business of purchasing or otherwise acquiring uh, notes, uh, drafts, acceptances, open accounts receivable, and other obligations representing part or all of the uh, sales price of merchandise, insurance, and services, uh, as well as uh, the business of making loans to manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers of, or prospective purchasers of uh, specified merchandise, insurance, or services, uh, as well as uh, 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 firms engaged in the business of purchasing or otherwise acquiring uh, mortgages and other liens on and interests uh, in the real estate. Uh, SEC Rule 3A6, however, uh, provides a limited investment company act coverage relief for foreign banks and insurance companies. Uh, what do I mean by this? Uh, more specifically, under Rule 3A6, a foreign bank is a banking institution incorporated or organized under the laws of a country other than the United States or a political subdivision of a country other than the United States uh, that is regulated as such by that country's or subdivision's government uh, engaged substantially in commercial banking activity. Uh, and not operated for the purpose of evading the provisions of the Investment Company Act. Uh, Canadian trust or loan companies that are regulated as such by Canada, or a political subdivision uh, in Canada, and not operated for the purpose of evading the provisions of the Investment Company Act, as well as UK building societies uh, that are regulated as such by the British government, and not operated for purposes of evading the Investment Company Act, are also included within uh, Rule 3A6's uh, definition of a foreign bank, right? So a little information there for our Canadian and British uh, listeners. And that concludes uh, this 214th episode of uh, uh, 200 on private equity. Not, of course, ruling out the possibility of bonus sessions.